Hello, and thank you for joining us for this installment of the Extant Podcast. My name is Mike. And I'm Dave, and this is show number 15, where we'll be talking about season two, episode four, the CBS summer series Extant. This episode is entitled Cracking the Code, and it aired on July 22nd, 2015. And Cracking the Code was written by Tom Pabst and was directed by PJ Pesci, who I looked up on IMDb, Dave. He directed a few episodes of one of our favorite shows, The 100. Okay. And, and you know, I love this title. And, and on the one hand, I, I guess you could look at it and say, well, it's obvious what it means, but I think you can look at it on a lot of different levels. Oh, yeah? You, you went a little deeper? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. The cracking the code bit of this episode was a bit silly in terms of the pseudoscience. But yeah, if you take it thematically and cracking the code and what's going on with all the different personalities and things like that, then yeah, it takes on more meaning. Right. And not to mention the lines of code that are inherent in Lucy and Ethan. Oh, true. Computer code. Right. It's not just DNA code. So yeah, it's good stuff. Speaking of Lucy and and cracking her code, (laughs) I just want to mention a couple of the actors and actresses that have shown up in Extant that we really haven't talked about. There was some news going into the season about some of the people that would be guest starring and taking over some of the main roles from people who are departing. But one of the characters who's been a real surprise in terms of the success of her character, and that's Lucy, played by Kiersey Clemens. And when I looked up her history, she's not done too much, mostly things on some more obscure outlets like Disney and Amazon, uh, one of the Amazon pilots that they did and, and an MTV show as well. But she's really been kicking ass in this, especially in this episode, uh, by playing this humanic character. Literally. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. She's really a strong personality. I really like her a lot. And another strong one is Lyndon Smith, who plays Kelsey, Another actress that we probably wouldn't have seen too much in our viewing, Dave, she played Natalie on Parenthood, for those of you who maybe in the audience have seen that show. But what I found was interesting is I thought, you know, I don't usually look at IMDb to see how many episodes they're going to be in. And I'm not going to spoil that because I know that's not one of your favorite things, Dave. (laughs) But we are going to see her more than just this episode that we saw here. So her arc could easily have ended but we're not done with her yet. So that was nice to see. And lastly, there was one of those actors in this episode that gave me that feeling where I was sure I had seen him before, but I couldn't quite place it. And that was Nate Malone, the scientist that was working alongside Molly in the lab played by Michael Gladys. And Dave, you've not seen Mad Men, have you? I have not. No, but he plays Paul Kinsey on Mad Men. And I'm sure there's some people in our audience that, watch that show and so if you're if you were like me and trying to place where you saw that guy before that's it Mad Men. <laughs> cool all right well why don't we take a look at the ratings for this week and you know they continue to be encouraging you know i know it's almost as if nobody wants to even mention season three but <laughs> certainly you have to be encouraged by the numbers so the ratings for the week ending july 19th which in terms of extant would mean season two episode three If we look at the live plus three uptick from the live plus same day, we're seeing a 45% increase in the 18 to 49 demo, which obviously is most important. And that's the seventh largest increase for the week of all shows, all nights. And they also had the sixth best increase in total viewers from same day to live plus three. So they're getting viewers. I mean, with the live plus three, they were well over 6 million. 
Well, I think in large part that's due to the time change. Sure. Uh, in fact, I think I put an article on the Facebook group from Deadline.com, which specifically mentioned how it was a good move, apparently, that Extant moved to 9 o'clock. It saw immediate results. Right. Now, these numbers I just gave you, this was while it was still at 10 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the ratings that you're quoting are from earlier, but the most recent ones that I saw on that on that article indicate that it's even better. So good news. Right. Total viewers still about the same, but there was an uptick in the 18 to 49. So I guess those youngsters can stay up and watch it at nine. But uh, <laughs> right. anyway, we got a lot to talk about in this episode. Yeah. So let's go ahead and get into our episode discussion. All right. We've got two really strong storylines going on. We, you know, we've got the government's plan to create a virus to kill the hybrids. And, and I mean, certainly anytime you have aliens invading Earth, that's always the, the fundamental question. How are we going to defeat a far superior life form? And, you know, we certainly see that in shows like uh, Falling Skies. And, and I was wondering when we were going to hear the V word. Which is that? Virus. <laughs> it's interesting, too, because, yeah, they do treat it sometimes like a virus, but it's also a spore. But it also is treated like an infection, something that can change you or at least change your physiology or that of your baby, that kind of thing. So, right. Same protocols. Right. And, you know, like H.G. Wells' War of the World, how did the Earthlings defeat the aliens? Well, they gave it a cold. <laughs> a common virus. Right. And then the other storyline we've got deals with the artificial intelligence. And the plan primarily from Lucy's end to basically reach self-actualization. And obviously, we don't know where this is headed yet, although we certainly can surmise it's going to have something to do with defeating the aliens but at this point no yeah it becomes a big question are we more worried that something bad is going to happen from the standpoint of going against the robots creators or are they going to do something completely unforeseen towards the aliens and succeed despite the human controllers right and you know we see a lot about trust in this episode and look i'm Certainly, like J.D., I see conspiracy everywhere I look. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he clearly doesn't trust the government screening centers, and, and obviously with good cause. Shana doesn't trust Molly or Toby's judgment in the matter. And then obviously Lucy, which is just so fantastic from a storytelling perspective, since she's an A.I., doesn't trust Charlie and especially Julie. Yeah, I love how they're playing out this Lucy character. It's very subtle where you almost sympathize with her position. But at the same time, you can see how it's very dangerous, the direction she's heading. So yeah, trust is central to all of these different relationships. Yeah, and it's just fascinating, and not to go off on a tangent, and I won't, but how many shows that are currently running that are dealing with all of these different aspects, ethical and just basically practical with AI and their interaction with humans. I think one of the biggest successes that a show like that can have where they talk about those issues is having the viewer put themselves in that position and ask themselves, what would I do? And I think it's a tough call in this show <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And one of the things that's been coming up recently, and we certainly hear it from Ethan's lips, 
what is his purpose? What did John have in mind with the Humanics Project? Yeah, because it almost seemed like his goal was very specific to his family's needs, creating a son. Right. And, and, you know, I've been very open about my criticism of characters in this story. What did you think was going to happen? Yeah, exactly. And how could he not foresee this? And I guess the the truth is maybe he did. We'll never know. (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Unless he kept a journal. All right. Well, anyway, opening scene, Molly's looking at herself in the bathroom mirror while having her nails done in a very cool device, by the way. Yeah, some kind of laser precision on uh, a manicure there. (laughs) And we later learn that her reaction, we see it in her face, is due to the fact that her nails grew much more rapidly than they should have. I mean, we don't know that at the time. Yeah, the only indication we get in the first opening scene is that, wow, those look awfully sharp. They weren't really round. They were almost pointy. Right. Now, In the background, she's got the TV news on, and we hear about a report on the deadly pathogen Eddie Van Halen 789. (laughs) All right, come on. I had to throw that in there. EVH, yeah. EVH 789 virus that affects women recently pregnant. I think they say the last three months. Yeah, I think this is a brilliant tactic. As brutal as it ends up being, and, and the fact that it's a little bit disconcerting what they're doing at these clinics, finally... Someone in a show is doing something about an outbreak that makes sense because they're at least trying to contain this thing by making up this cover story. So initially, I kind of admired what they were doing. Well, right. But any time they start really putting on the big push, the big sell, I mean, you know, this is just repeating itself over and over, uh, asking women to report to any of a number of government clinics. It's generally never a good sign. Which is why I think J.D. got so suspicious when he was taking Kelsey. So, yeah, it immediately starts to get suspicious. But I was just very happy that they came up with something to stem the tide of all these accelerated pregnancies, as opposed to basically sticking their head in the sand up until the point when J.D. got his case from the little crime dispenser computer thing. <laughs> right. Now, now, what was up with the pigeon that crashed into Molly's yeah. window? Uh, do you think that had anything to do with her? alienness i don't know you mean that it was somehow drawn to her yeah because it was seemingly coming out of nowhere the fact that it did that i mean obviously it made her draw her gun which in turn made her think back to the fact that she had shot toby at the end of the last episode and we got to see that oh no toby is not dead he was wearing a vest and so it had that purpose but the fact that they used a bird flying into a window seemed a bit odd of a choice. And, you know, we've seen that somewhere before, and I'm trying to think, I think it was Lost and Walt. Oh, right, yeah. I, th- I do remember that, yeah, some of the flashbacks. Yeah, but anyway, uh, you know, so that we see that Toby was wearing his vest and, and tells Molly, well, at least we know you can pull the trigger. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. We were talking about how, what would his reaction be? Because you were speculating that would would Molly be arrested for it or would they understand what she had done and toby was extremely understanding and actually was putting a silver lining on it even right there on the floor as he was recovering from broken ribs yeah i think he was actually quite pleased to be honest (laughs) yeah and then a really cool detail that comes out of this scene at least i thought uh, it's certainly unimportant in the big picture but apparently gina can install new locks instantaneously (laughs) yeah doesn't she do it again at the end of the episode she does (laughs) All right, so we find out that Julie's in D.C., 
and we see Charlie making Ethan and Lucy breakfast, ignoring Julie's no chocolate rule. Which is kind of funny if you think about it, because obviously following Julie's rules comes up quite a bit in this part of the storyline. And the fact that Charlie brings it up even just with breakfast is kind of funny. Right. And Lucy's issue with authority actually becomes a topic of conversation. And Charlie tells her he's going to rewrite the code to include an authority limiter. You're not even going to notice. And she says, yeah, I'm sure that's what they tell chickens when they clip their wings. And again, I mean, as a viewer, a huge red flag is raised. And it's amazing that Charlie doesn't seem to notice. Yeah, he takes it in stride. And this is not the type of interaction he has had with Ethan. So the fact that he is very blithe about it when Lucy is questioning it, it's almost as though she is worried about it changing who she is. Like the way he brings up the fact that they're just going to put in one line of code, she thinks will change the way she acts. It will change who she is in a sense. Right. Now, is that whole idea of becoming self-actualized? Is that something that John has programmed into Ethan? You know, is that something that Lucy has? I, I guess we could certainly see that. And she brings up the whole idea of learning by experience. So is that something she's just picked up on her own? Does she see how it's benefited Ethan and she wants it for herself? I think what we're seeing here is the fact that Lucy's technology was based on the same stuff as Ethan's. And they had to throw a lot of soldiery stuff up on top of it. So the fact that in the past week she's ignored three direct orders springs from John's base material, I guess, the base code that they've kind of had to build all the other stuff on top of. So that's where it's coming from is is John's original intent for the program. Right. But the problem in a military setting, which is where we're headed with Lucy, that kind of thinking produces a big liability. So we're going to. I obviously see that and the ramifications of her behavior if it continues. Well, we're also going to have to ask that question, whether it's a good or bad thing, because obviously it saved Charlie in the later encounter where she didn't wait for orders. So, yeah, that's going to become a conversation point. Right. And then that whole idea about whose property is she? Yeah. And Charlie tells her the property of GSC. And then she says, well, whose property is Ethan? His mother's. And then we see him glitching again on the Molly and Julie images. Yeah. So we're going to have to come back to the the Ethan and Lucy plot line, but this is an interesting opening scene uh, to set the stage for all that. Yep. All right. Well, the A story, I, I guess, really revolves around the government's quest to develop this virus that's going to kill the hybrids. And, and obviously the challenge is to come up with something that will kill the hybrids, but not kill the regular humans. This is interesting, too, that it's the same thing they're doing on the strain, <laughs> where they're trying to combat the vampires with a virus that will kill them, but not the humans. So it's a cool idea. I think the genetics stuff, even though it's kind of pseudoscience, like I said, and all the stuff that they're doing with the letters on the screen is kind of visually interesting, but really not accurate to what they would actually be doing even in the future <laughs> i just like the fact that they're playing around with things that they can find in the genetic material of the spores that will give them a clue as to what can they attack that's not the same as the genetics they would find in a human right and he gives quite a speech to all the geneticists and when you really examine it however he's not really overstating things 
No, yeah, it's very extreme because he says either we're going to be making history ourselves or be footnotes in someone else's scrolls. <laughs> right. Now, what comes up immediately is that public service announcement that we've seen endlessly playing on a loop. And she questions him about really what's going to actually happen here. And he mentions women coming in to be tested and quarantining if need be. And, and you almost, uh, she says, and then what? You almost wonder if he's making finger quotes while he says quarantining. Yeah, she wants to know what they're doing with these women. And I think she does get a clear indication that there might be some cover-up going on. But here, Toby just glosses over it by saying, it's uncharted territory. We don't know what we're going to do yet, but I think he does know. Now, were you a little surprised that he didn't react more to the pain she was obviously in as they're sitting there talking? Well, was it pain? Because I just felt like it was the elevator dinging was louder than normal. Because throughout this episode, a lot of her discomfort seems to come from heightened senses. Yeah, particularly auditory. Yeah, exactly. So he just kind of says, you okay? And then they move on. So yeah, I, I think to a certain extent, Sheena is right that Toby is blind to a lot of her flaws. But at the same time, uh, she does kind of play it down. Okay. Now we do learn that GSC launched a virus team nine months previous, you know, right after Molly returned contaminated and that they're using the spores brought back from space by Sean Glass and shows her some tests they've been running. He calls it a doomsday project. We hoped we wouldn't need and explains the whole idea of what the program's all about. Right. So they hoped that they could get somewhere by just eliminating the target, but they had this running in the background just in case. But the problem is anything that they've come up with and they've had a rotating cast of biologists and virologists and a lot of other stuff, everything they've tried kills the hybrids, but also kills the host. And so they've been unsuccessful so far. So technically what Toby is doing here is recruiting her as a biologist herself to work on this problem with them. Right. And and I guess that's where my issue with Shana comes in is that because I think Toby understands that she sees things from a very unique perspective and she's not willing to accept that. I think Toby's right that she may be our best hope. Yeah. And you have to wonder if Shana is also a little bit right about him being blind to her flaws, but yeah, Shana is also being too extreme. So I think neither Toby nor Shana can speak from the most objective point of view. Right. But he says, we're at war and you wonder whether we'll reach a point where he's willing to accept human casualties the way he was able to accept them at the bar that night. Oh, I definitely think he will be. In fact, he might have already reached that point. <laughs> All right. So JD has taken his daughter to one of the government screening facilities, but before letting the doctors examine her, it's, it's an awesome scene. He sneaks behind the scenes, goes right past the no authorized sign to really see what's going on. And clearly he doesn't like what he sees and okay, I get the nurse alert security and they're after him, but that again should send out red flags that why does she need his name simply because he went through a wrong door? Right. And JD is already predisposed to not trust the situation anyway. So that just makes it worse. But he has a hard time convincing Kelsey of that. I mean, obviously he initially gets her away and says that this has got a little bit of a Hotel California vibe. You can check in, but you can't 
ever leave. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, JD's got that Eagles vibe himself. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But it's funny that she doesn't see it. So she thinks he's just seeing a conspiracy around every corner and later does actually return to one of these clinics to find out the creepiness for herself. Right. And, you know, we get a little bit about their relationship or rather lack of a relationship in this episode. So when she says you see conspiracy everywhere, we almost wonder how she knows that. Yeah. What has been in his past that has been indicative of that as well? Is it something to do with his military history, with his problems with authority or what? Right. Well, you mentioned Nate Malone in the uh, beginning of the podcast and Molly talks with him about the stories that DNA tell. And you mentioned that this episode is kind of playing fast and loose with science. (laughs) And I'm going to take your word on that one because this was way over my head. I'm writing things down in the notes that, okay, I, I guess. What are they doing here? Yeah, she calls it a book that's been edited for millions of years. And later on, when she actually makes some kind of breakthrough, he says something like, Houston, we have stories, (laughs) referring to her original metaphor of of what the DNA wall looks like to her. Right. Now, she's drawn to the junk DNA, which he he calls the discard wall. Yeah, he says, this is a communal wall. A lot of the scientists just throw things over here. Anything that doesn't actually have a purpose in the genome of the spores just gets thrown over there because a lot of creatures apparently have junk DNA that he calls God's candy wrapper. It's basically just there for decoration, but it doesn't actually perform a function. Well, Molly actually wants to do something with this stuff to get at the alien. So she's taking a unique approach. Right now. I don't want to get caught up in the minutia of, of the science (laughs) of the science. (laughs) So suffice it to say, she's now a part of the virus team, which makes Shana unhappy Toby tells her, well, she's fully qualified, background in genetics, exobiologist. What if she shot you to protect him, Shana tells Toby. Yeah, she actually thinks that it's possible that Molly didn't shoot him by accident, <laughs> that that the alien influence was already in there. I think Shana's a little over the top here, like we said, and because Toby is explaining to her very reasonably that Molly is perfectly qualified to be working on this team. And he sees that she's critical to solving the puzzle because of the fact that she's had an interaction with this alien life form. So is it a risk? I think so, but perhaps it's a calculated one, right? Well, I think so too. And I I guess what I also love is the possibility for a really big power struggle to come out of this story. Might we see somewhere down the road, Shana do something to stop Toby. Oh, I guarantee uh, Almost it. like a coup. Definitely going to be mutiny in the ranks at some point. I, I predict that now. <laughs> All right. Well, Molly's playing with DNA sequences in the virus lab when she starts glitching under the eye of Shana. And I noticed this because I watch with closed captioning. Okay. And what it said was aural fractals sound. Mm-hmm. All right. So, of course, I had to uh, get my laptop out. A fractal <laughs> is a never ending pattern. They are infinitely complex patterns, self-similar across different scales, created by repeating a simple process over and over in an ongoing feedback loop. Now, how that plays into this, I don't know, but are we to believe that her heightened auditory sense at, at this point is just going to exponentially keep increasing to the point where 
she can't stand it anymore? Well, possibly, but at this point, it's not really bothering her per se. It almost seems to be helping her. Like she is making these patterns snap into place as though she's being aided by an outside force, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. So it feels like she's listening to what the aliens are telling her. Maybe the spores are speaking or her the DNA inside herself. And it's guiding her to solutions where she can find patterns in the junk DNA. And that's where Nate actually notices that she's acting kind of strange. Are you okay? And she excuses herself and he looks at her board and says, Houston, we have stories, meaning wow, she's actually made some headway on this project that we've been working on for months. Right, exactly. All right, well, after that, we go to, and you know, one of the things about this episode, in terms of the editing, there were a lot of very short sequences, and we would jump back and forth. And ordinarily, I don't like that, but I think what it really did tonight is is heighten the tension with all the storylines. So uh, it was really effective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we actually had not just the... Lucy and Ethan and the alien story, but we also had JD's little mini story in there. Exactly. So JD goes to Molly's and wakes her, but she's in bed with this guy that was in the fast food place (laughs) who tells her I make a nice frittata. Yeah. He's got this grin on his face. Like this was the best night of my life. I went for a burger and I got it. A beautiful woman instead. And she is horrified, tells him to go out through the back door (laughs) And the first thing that comes to my mind is, what if she's pregnant? Well, I, what is the goal? Is she also spreading the alien DNA through her sexual encounters? We don't know. You know, but you've got that. And then her nails have grown much longer than they should have in the short period of time. And, and she clearly recognizes that something's wrong, which then refers us back to the opening scene when she's doing her nails there. That's right. So she's trying to spruce up for JD also. And I don't know if she already has a thing for him as well, but as she tries to get (laughs) her inadvertent suitor out the back door, she's welcoming JD in through the front. Of course, he spots the large pair of underwear on the ground and wonders if he's interrupting something. But Right, but what's driving her to this behavior? (laughs) I don't know. That's a good question. It's definitely her alienness. Well, obviously he's there because he needs her help with Kelsey. We find out that he hasn't seen her in years. And I guess like a lot of, now she's older than a teenager, although not a whole lot, like a lot of young daughters won't confide in her father. So he doesn't have much to go on. We find out the mother's an estranged circuit court judge, which we figures. It might come into play. We never know. That that might actually be relevant later. Right. But what I love is that we've seen him as we've never seen him before, humbled by this situation that he can't handle. And he actually is pleading with Molly for her help which is clearly a role reversal when he got her out of uh, Happy Acres or whatever that place was, Restwell. <laughs> Crazy Acres is what JD called it, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he takes her to meet Kelsey because he figures she can perform the test that these clinics are doing, and she agrees to do that. Molly is very gracious in doing this test and taking it to the lab, and it seems like she really has to be very secretive in getting that test done. Uh, without anyone knowing what she's doing. Right. And, you know, at the top of the show, I mentioned the whole idea of trust. And, you know, when she starts hearing things again, and he certainly notices that she's not fine, and she tells him that she's sick and thinks it's spore contamination, I I mean, that's the truth, right? 
yeah, she's finally being truthful, not only with him, but with herself. And obviously the nails would have been alarming anyway, but she also confesses that she's doing things that just don't feel like me. And there, I think she's referring to these sexual encounters that she probably vaguely remembers, but also has a lot of lost time because of it. Yeah. Now, the other thing I kept wondering was whether or not her hair is getting longer. Because it was shorter last season. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, be, I mean, because of the nail thing. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's, is it a sign of other things that are changing in her body as well? And, you know, why the nails specifically? I don't know. Right. But this time, though, JD tells her that he realizes what she needs is a keeper. And obviously he's referring to himself, but it's a totally different situation than it was before. But rightly so, she tells him, you know what, you've already got your plate full with your daughter, so you you can't watch us both. Right, but it serves the purpose of bringing him in on her little secret, and I think he's pretty much the only one that knows what she's going through. So that's going to obviously come into play later, the fact that he knows she's going through a change of some sort. Okay. Now, we're back at the lab. Molly's running Kelsey's blood. And we learned that the work Molly had done the previous night shows promise that the spores have the capacity for male and female organs, chimeric in origin. And is this significant? Well, of course. And I wonder, I don't know if you've ever read Ursula K. Le Guin's Left Hand of Darkness. Oh, one of my favorites with oh. the, the winter planet. Right. And, and, and you have beings who at various points of their life are female and mm-hmm. give birth. I think they called them ambisexual. <laughs> okay. And, and at other points in their life, they're male and father children. So, you know, I, I don't know, but it's going to be significant. We just don't know how. Well, I think in this case also, it has to do with the fact that the offspring can show up as male or female. Remember we were talking about, wouldn't just the males be out there impregnating human women? But if they're chimeric, then it probably wouldn't matter if they were male or female. And... Perhaps that would explain Molly's sexual behavior as well. Perhaps she's also spreading the spores by way of her relations with other men. You know, she doesn't necessarily have to impregnate them, in other words. Right. Now, I don't know that we needed her coworker to tell us this, but it was it was nice to get the verification that he's heard that the clinics are not even going to worry about extracting the fetuses or saving the mothers. So what does that mean? Are they just going to kill the mothers outright? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of strange because you would think they would do like with Molly, where Yasumoto removed her fetus and then she went about her way. But obviously, Molly's having trouble even with that having taken place. So perhaps it's safer to dispose of them. As horrible and horrific as that would be, they're playing it safe. And and I think that's probably the right thing to do, although it probably won't be enough. Of course, you wonder, we've seen her son rise from the autopsy room uh, slab to come back to life, so to speak. You wonder if, oh, I don't even want to think about it. Uh, All right. So JD's daughter leaves to go to the clinic and, you know, because she looked up Molly and her crazy history. But I love it. She gets in in his vehicle. He shoots out her tires. Then she runs around back. And I guess that's his motorcycle or whatever. Well, he's got the Jeep, so I'm not sure where the motorcycle came from, but I like how he just kind of says, well, I think that went well. Yeah. Oh, that must have been how she got there, because when he came home last time, she was sitting on his steps. Yeah. So she goes off. 
Molly continues to work with the DNA, surmises that the alien DNA is closer to human than previously thought, and then she plays that message that's encoded in the alien DNA, you know, because we see the sound waves up on the board. Yeah, that was, this is the one I had the most trouble with. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for all the pseudoscience and fancy visuals that they're using to work with this DNA. But the fact that she turns to this Nate Malone guy and says, why aren't we just using the same base pairs that humans have? And he said, well, because it's an alien, so you can't use the same thing. Well, she just tells him to plug in the regular human base pairs because she thinks that the alien DNA is closer to human than they think. And suddenly it snaps into place into a picture that looks like sound waves. That seems really (laughs) just out of left field. You're going to have to help me with that one. (laughs) And plus, are we to believe that she's the only one that hears that sound? Help me because no one else seems to hear it. Well, I guess I do believe that, but I believe it because of the fact that she has alien DNA, we assume, in her body at this point. But then, you you know, okay, let's say that's true, then we're, we're into, and I'm perfectly okay with this, you're into the whole idea that humans have evolved from aliens coming to Earth. Or at least the same origins as where, where this alien life form comes from. They, they have the same roots somewhere out there in space. Right. Now, what about that flashback to Marcus on the Seraphim with the help me and the condensation on the window? Well, that's why I almost feel like she's the only, only one hearing it. Because when Toby plays it back later in his office, it just sounds like static. And she still says, do you hear it? Do you hear it? It says, help me. And although the flashback to Marcus, we did actually hear it as the audience, but when they're playing it in Toby's office, there's nothing like that. And Shana even kind of makes fun of it later and says, oh, sure, help me. Yeah, I hear it. Clear as day. Right. And she also claims that Molly's ruined weeks of work. And, you know, you and I were talking earlier, and and I guess I thought at the time when I said, well, how? I mean, surely they must have saved what they've done. (laughs) Well, also because Nate Malone just kind of blithely agreed to change it around for Molly's theory. So it's not like she forced him to do it. So yeah, Shana back off. Well, I mean, (laughs) you do know that Molly carried a hybrid, right? (laughs) Yeah. Come on. You have to actually allow for the different perception that she might have on this because she's given them no reason to believe that she is not to be trusted just because she's had contact with the aliens. It might actually give her a unique and helpful position. But Shana doesn't see it that way. She's blind to it because of her jealousy. You're right, exactly. Now, why is Toby given the order for Molly to be tossed from the lab immediately? Because he doesn't hear the help me. I think he's finally coming around to the fact that maybe I'm letting my feelings for Molly cloud my judgment as well. So I think he's probably giving in to Shana here. Okay, well, she realizes what's going on, grabs her things, knocks over the tray, and and I assume that's the vial containing Kelsey's blood sample. Yeah, she had to grab that and and deliver the test results. In fact, the timer even went off while she was in the office with Toby. Did you see that? I did. That said, okay, the test is ready. So yeah, that's actually quite a bit of trouble to have gone through just to get Kelsey's negative test result back. But obviously that was important. And, you know, I think it was important from an overall storytelling process to have it turn out this way. You know, it just would have been too much if her test turned out that 
oh no, you're carrying a hybrid as well. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit of a contrived way to get JD to stay engaged with this storyline to have Kelsey be pregnant. So I, I'm glad it turned out she wasn't, at least not with an alien anyway. <laughs> right. And, you know, father, daughter, hug it out out of that sense of relief. And then we, you know, Molly hears the oral fractals again and then starts kissing him. Yeah. And he's a better man than I, I will say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he actually snaps her out of it. I have to wonder, what is it that is causing her to go into these fugue states? Yeah, the trigger mechanism, whatever it is. It just seems to come out of nowhere. All right, well, they hear Kelsey approach. She tells them that there's something off about those places, Kelsey, that is. And, you know, Molly reassures her she and her baby are okay. And and like you said, so, you know, that's pretty much the storyline in terms of the government and this project to create a virus to kill the hybrids yeah we still have very separate storylines and i'm waiting for them to merge i think the same thing happened last season we were waiting for the two storylines to merge and and it's happening again this year where we're wondering when are the humanics going to come into play right and you know i mentioned a couple times about lucy's desire for self-actualization but we also see ethan search simply for the truth about his mother because clearly he senses something is off about that as well yeah, he's supposed to be asleep, and he's just sitting up in bed, scrolling through pictures of this Molly person, whoever she is, and trying to figure out why she keeps popping up in his visual field. Yeah, and right away, you know, we see this sense of Lucy because Ethan tells her that, well, Charlie attributes it to a glitch, and Lucy says, do you think that makes sense? Yeah, in a very Socratic way. Right, and he shakes his head, no, and asks him if he's thought about trying to find her. Well, there's a rule about not leaving the house, you know, because it protects us. And then she's like, you know, rules don't protect us. They limit us. Yeah, very telling. Right away, we get the alarm bells going off. Right. And one of the things that comes up a lot in this episode is that toy soldier. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, is it simply a prop? You know, she mentions a mission. Okay, clearly he, he's like a lot of little boys, likes playing with soldiers. So to, is she using that kind of scenario to just get his attention so he'll do what she wants him to do? Or does that soldier have more meaning? Well, it wasn't just brought up from Lucy and Ethan's toy. It was also brought up when Ethan asked Julie, am I going to be a soldier too? Because he found out that Lucy was being created just for that. Right. And we know clearly at this point, Lucy's going to be a problem for Charlie and Julie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and you wonder, is she simply using Ethan for her own ends, or is it truly brother-sister and that she wants to take him with her? Oh, yeah. I think it's definitely that she wants company along that path and doesn't want to do it by herself. She wants Ethan to also free himself from his human oppressors. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> All right. Now, does Ethan have Julie's phone? He just happens to notice it when he's looking around with his soldier's laser. He spots okay. it on the end table and says, oh, maybe I can just see if Julie has Molly's number in her uh, speed dial, <laughs> which she does. But why would Julie's phone be there? I don't know. They are in Julie's place. Yeah. But yeah, well, maybe she has more than one. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> what the... Uh... 20 something. <laughs> yeah. Why didn't she have it at work? <laughs> sure. 
Well, anyway, <laughs> places a call to Molly, who's in some kind of fast food place, and that's you know where where we see that guy she ends up taking home. I love that place. Here's a nice future touch again. It's the Crave Automat, where you can print out whatever food you want. Love it. <laughs> All right. Why does she decline the call? By the way, she has no curiosity about what's going on with Ethan, and here she got a call from Julie Gellano, and she just ignores it. Or was it because she was in the alien seduction mode? Well, I think it was probably a combination in the alien seduction mode, but also she probably sensed that Julie didn't have anything positive to tell her. Well, that's true. There was the fight at the funeral. (laughs) Right. Now, trying to leave the house, right? You know, it's like, I guess, like a lot of families in the morning, trying to get the kids to school. uh, Lucy balks at Charlie's wishes, tells him she doesn't want to go. And Charlie's like, I guess, like a lot of fathers, don't start with me. Yeah. It's weird how they've fallen into this kind of pattern so soon. And we remarked earlier how Charlie just kind of takes it in stride. He doesn't seem all that alarmed at having to say something like, don't start. Yeah. Charlie's like the bad uncle. (laughs) Or from the kid's perspective, the good uncle. Hey, chocolate pancakes. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Uh, But we notice Ethan's gone. And Lucy doesn't really seem all that surprised. We see him on his little power scooter. And I love it. Charlie tries to access Ethan's GPS. And I guess what the fact that his GPS was activated, he could tell. It showed up in his little HUD. So he disconnects <laughs> it, which seems to be a flaw in the system. Yeah, <laughs> that is a real flaw. Don't let the humanic disable something as important as a GPS tracker. <laughs> right. And you can't imagine John no. would have ever... No, he would not have allowed that. All right. Well, Charlie's freaking out, and rightly so, that Ethan's missing. Won't call the cops. And obviously, it harkens back to the last time Ethan went missing and the the police reaction to it. And then Lucy asks if Julie might lose her job over it. (laughs) Yeah, she almost says it with joy. Yeah. Charlie says she might lose Ethan. Yeah. Now, do you think that had more impact on Lucy to have him say it that way? Because it almost seemed like she felt bad about if it was that that would happen to julie well you know i mean on the one hand do we think that he had the foresight to give her that response thinking and i don't think so i think that's really the truth Mm -hmm. no she's not going to lose her job over it because you know she is good at what she does and the project is moving in the right direction but she will lose ethan remember who's viewed as a distraction by i can't remember the woman's name now Anna. Right. I mean, she views Ethan as a distraction. Right. But I think there must have been something to Charlie's statement, even if it wasn't intentional on his part, because Lucy then becomes more cooperative and tells Charlie that Ethan was looking for someone named Molly. Although not before kind of playing with Charlie a little bit by going through some home movies in her head. (laughs) If she really was even doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, was she just pretending to do it? Which I I think that's what she was doing. Sorry, I was just looking at a birthday uh, that Ethan had. And then says, uh, went to look for somebody named Molly, like you said. So now Ethan has gone back to his original home, which obviously was burned, walks into his old bedroom, which is, you know, now pretty much a burned shell from the fire. Although his little mobile of the planets was still fairly intact and the guy comes in yeah i thought the guy was pretty nice He's, you know hey kids you got to get out of here i don't know anything anything i know is on that red tag and from that red tag he's able to get molly's current address All right so that was very useful for him and 
it did give us a nice little context for the fire that was mentioned in Molly's time at Restwell, where that was one of the reasons why she was in there to begin with. So Ethan's off to Molly's current address to see if he can find out who this lady is. What kind of a drug dealer steals a scooter from a little kid? It almost seemed like the long-haired guy was going to just give him directions and let him be on his way. <laughs> yeah, almost <laughs> like like he thought it was cool that this little kid was brave enough to be out on his own in this area on his little vehicle. And But like you said, the other guy stepped in. Right. And Ethan obviously is none the wiser. He just used his shortest route possible programming to get to Molly's place and didn't take into account like Charlie did that there are some bad areas of town. So Lucy and Charlie actually check out the burned house too and think that he probably wasn't even here, but Lucy can see his footprints in the carpet. And when she sees the red tag as well, they know immediately where he's gone. Right. You know, meanwhile, we see Ethan at Molly's present apartment and I, and it was great. Gina recognizes him uh-huh. as he's looking around and then he finds that picture of himself and Molly and he starts glitching again. Yeah. And this one is another one that knocks him out cold rather than gives him a little headache. He actually is found in a prone state because it was just too much for him. Right. And then that leads to a scene that arguably is my favorite scene of the episode. (laughs) Charlie and Lucy go to that same street where Ethan's scooter was stolen. The same two drug dealers are there. Give them a hard time. And you know what? This time, though, we've got the little smile on our face because we know where this is headed. Yeah, I love Lucy's line where Charlie just says, we don't care about the scooter. We do care about the scooter (laughs) and the boy. (laughs) And the guy pulls the knife, you know, the one that took the scooter. And we're like, dude, wrong move. She goes into attack mode, disables the guy, and then apologizes to Charlie because she wasn't given an order and acted on her own. And he says, well, you saved my ass. And, you know, obviously this comes on the heels of their earlier conversation when they were leaving the house in the morning that she, you know, has directly disobeyed orders and you just don't know what's going on with her. Is she just playing with him or is it really that she is just torn over doing what she's supposed to do and really what she feels like she wants to do? And again, I ever since Lucy has woken up, all of the things like this have been subtle, understated, and really well played because you as the viewer have to wonder, wasn't it the right thing what she did? Of course it was, but it was forced upon her by her having to make her own decision. And and that can be dangerous. So in this case, it worked out, but in other cases, it might not. Right. And I guess we could argue that the next thing that happens is a trope, but I'm perfectly okay with it here because it almost provided a little bit of comic relief. The phone rings. It's Julie. (laughs) Now she calls. (laughs) Yeah. And he declines it. Yep. And so Charlie is a little bit pissed at Julie, and obviously they have the aftermath of their encounter that they had last week, in which we don't really know how that ended up, their little romantic tryst. Well, did you see here, she's holding his hand. Well, Lucy is. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean, but this time not crushing it. Oh, I see. Well, no, and we've surmised that there might be a little crush on Lucy's end. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Charlie and Lucy find Ethan lying on the floor i would say unconscious but that's probably not exactly (laughs) shut down (laughs) shut down his circuits were knocked out and then charlie just says i'll fix him in the morning (laughs) (laughs) we'll just stick him in the trunk 
<laughs> and then what about me, Charlie? Will you fix me tomorrow? Oh God. Like, uh, yeah. What does that mean? Because of the line of code he was going to put in with the authority fixer thing. So if he says yes, is she going to like kill him in his sleep? <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's more of a thing that she's pleading with him because if the limiters had been installed, she probably wouldn't have saved Charlie right. from the drug dealers. So again, was that calculated on her part? Because it was persuasive. Obviously, Charlie said, you saved my ass. So it was persuasive, but obviously Charlie doesn't end up installing the limiters and tells Julie that he did. Right. And and this whole little line, you don't change me, Charlie. Julie doesn't have to know it'll be our secret. Yeah. So like, where is this headed? I mean, is it romantic? You mentioned she's got a crush on him. Is it something else? I tend to think it's something else, a little more nefarious. Yeah, well, I, I think you're right from Lucy's point of view, but also the fact that Julie was the one that was making the mistakes and Charlie was the voice of reason in the first part of the season. And now he's the one making mistakes by not telling Julie and not installing that limiter. Right. And tells her, I miss you in their little audio instant messenger thing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I miss you. And, uh, you know, see you tomorrow. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Not what he wanted. All right. And then in pretty much the, final scene of of this storyline sitting on her bed lucy speed reading the prince by machiavelli Uh (laughs) uh-oh and then when she looks up she says and she's look looking up above like at the ceiling you were right it worked so to whom is she speaking yeah how is she in communication with someone other than julie and charlie and ethan and all that is she talking to anna is she talking to someone we haven't met yet? Is she talking yeah. to the aliens? <laughs> is she is the room bugged and she's talking to the the camera? I mean, who knows? But the significance here, though, and, and it's certainly been a long time since I read The Prince uh, back in college, so I had <laughs> uh-huh. to do a quick refresher. But you know, certainly one of the first works of modern philosophy in which the effective truth is taken to be more important than any abstract ideal, but more to the point. The thematic idea that's coming out of this is that if we're talking about achieving glory or survival, then anything you do, you can justify the use of immoral means to achieve those ends. Yeah, basically Machiavellian practice is and justifies the means, right? Yeah. So she will take any measure to achieve her goal, and that could be running over people, killing people, or making those tough choices like Anna had posed to her in that quiz of hers in the last episode. Okay. And then, you know, we're now in a closing scene where everybody's pretty much powering down for the evening. JD's drinking while Kelsey sleeps on the couch, Charlie's sleeping on the couch while Lucy plots. (laughs) Yeah. Molly's home taking a shower, and then she sees written on the steamed-up mirror, Ethan was here. Well, who wrote that? Who the heck wrote it? That's what I want to know, because Ethan passed out. He didn't write it. Really weird. I think that her son snuck in there and told her that her son was there. I don't know why he would do that, but I definitely think it was the aliens that told her that Ethan had been visiting. Not sure why they would want any contact with humanics at all, but such as it is. Okay. Now, is it Taltos that has the data bank of all the songs in the episodes? Yeah, tvshowmusic.com. Because the, I wish I'd have known that, although (laughs) I did my best to find this, the music that's playing over this last scene 
was really haunting. And the lyrics, as we can hear them, as we watch this world burn, a simple truth so hard to learn. When things go wrong, it's hard to see. It's not just you, but also me. Ooh, I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot, too. Yeah, that was a cool song that was playing at the end. I didn't, I hadn't caught the lyrics, but uh, the mood of the song, even the tone of the music, was good. Well, it's a great way to end that episode discussion with some mysteries. One is Lucy with her talking to someone mysterious, and two is Ethan was here and who wrote that. So, some good questions to end on. Yeah, and I mean the direction this season is taking, it's just wow unexpectedly good unexpectedly good (laughs) i mean look i enjoyed season one no question but season two is just knocking it out of the park and uh all right i won't jinx anything by mentioning that i know you want to knock on wood make sure it keeps it up so yeah great stuff and the listeners are also reacting positively to it so let's go ahead and move into our feedback segment And we'll start with Leo, who likes to have a little fun with it. And so he's got some nitpicks to share with us this week again. Leo says, this episode kind of reminded me of the trip to Ethan's school episode last season. Did we really learn much? I don't feel like the story was advanced that much by the episode. And this week, my nitpick of the week goes to Toby. In fact, after this week, I may just call it the Toby Award. Why isn't anyone watching Molly? Apparently, Toby's brain was harmed when Molly shot him. Despite the fact that Molly is the only person to have repeated visits and contact with an offspring, Toby doesn't have anyone or anything watching Molly. Is the government run by buffoons? They cannot trust her that much, can they? Well, they did give her a gun. Now, what do you think of this, Dave? Because we actually were kind of springing to Toby's defense and saying that Molly had a unique perspective to share. Yeah, well, I think I do believe that, but I also think they are watching her. Yeah, I think... The fact that there's not like an armed guard standing there doesn't mean that they're not keeping an eye on things. Right. Well, you saw that Shana was looking through the monitor. (laughs) Exactly. And then her being kicked out of the lab. uh, I mean, certainly once she was out of the lab, I I have to believe somebody was keeping an eye on her. (laughs) Right. So Leo goes on to say, can someone please explain how Molly found this embedded genetic code in layman's terms? No, we can't. Uh, No. (laughs) That's just what I was about to say. The junk DNA communo wall human genetic markers pattern recognition sound wave dialogue just lost me. It looked to me that she was doing a futuristic Rubik's Cube with the DNA and simply put stuff together. I think that's about right there, Leo. You probably saw it more clearly than you think you did. Did she find something or was she just imagining it? I think she did actually find something because of the reaction that uh, Malone had to it. Did anyone notice the golden spiral behind Lucy when she was reading the prints? I did not notice that. Product placement. (laughs) Golden spiral media. Here's hoping the writers name two characters, Mike and Dave. Those dudes killed in continuum. Ha ha. I see what you did there. (laughs) I wouldn't mind it either. All right. Well, Barb sent in some audio feedback. So why don't we take a listen to that? Hello, Mike and Dave. This is Barb calling in with a few thoughts about this week's extant epi, Cracking the Code. I'll give this epi eight stolen scooters. Here are a few thoughts. I was surprised that JD's daughter wasn't pregnant with an alien baby. Surprised, but pleased. Now the only way that JD and Molly can interact is if she takes him up on his offer to watch over her, especially since she now knows that she has a little alien problem. Oh, Lucy. We need to keep an eye on her. Not only does she embrace her soldierhood, 
but I think she wants a buddy to follow her there, and I think that buddy is going to be Ethan. Watch for him to be influenced by Lucy more, especially since he knows that Molly is important, and he is moving toward not trusting Julie. Poor Charlie, used by Julie and tossed to the side already. Makes me like her less, if that was possible. The Code It was interesting to watch Molly break the code, and as she was doing that, I wondered if she was throwing in a red herring for the science team, since she certainly seemed to be under alien influence. When is someone going to figure out that she has alien DNA in her blood? She had an alien baby, after all. They all know it, and they should have figured that out by now. That's it for this week. This is Barb signing out and scheduling my manicure. Hmm... My nails look a bit long. All right. You know, Barb says she's glad that Kelsey wasn't pregnant. And and yeah, I, I certainly am as well, because I think it would have just been too convenient. And I liked her character. Like you mentioned earlier in the show, we don't know how many episodes she's going to be around, but it would be nice to have her as part of the storyline. She seems like an intelligent young woman and can maybe even rein JD in a little bit. Right. And obviously... She kind of wonders something interesting here, Dave, and I'm going to file it away because Barb comes up with some good theories. I've heard her feedback on other Golden Spiral Media podcasts. And in this one, she says she wonders if Molly's code breaking includes an alien influenced red herring, because obviously they're helping her with this. So are they leading her down the garden path to something that won't be helpful at all? Or are they actually leading her to some type of awakening? See, I like that. A lot. And what that ends up doing is making Lucy and Ethan all the more important in the quest to defeat the aliens. How so? Well, if this, in fact, is all going to be a red herring and that developing this virus is going to come to nothing, then how are they going to defeat the aliens? Or it might actually come to human harm. But I thought it was interesting that Barb had written an email a little bit too late for us to include in our podcast last week. But it actually speaks to this same idea that she brought up in her audio feedback. So I just want to read a piece from Barb's last week's email. She said, I still think Molly is an alien strain carrier and is part of the alien takeover problem. If she didn't have alien DNA, her son would simply kill her and not tell her that she will need to make a choice. Does this mean that Molly must die in the end? And why is it that all evil sons and daughters must call their mom (laughs) mother? (laughs) I love that. I guess that the phrase, hey, mom, come join me on the dark side doesn't have the same punch. (laughs) So I wanted to share that bit, too, because obviously Barb has some great theories as to where the alien DNA inside Molly is going to head. Well, we also heard from Jet's Jewelry. Again, this is from last week. She got this, he or she, I'm not sure, got this in just after uh, our deadline last week, but it still is relevant now. She says this, I'm going to say she for sake of argument, this show has finally found its legs. It is richer and deeper than the first season. Hallie and Jeffrey Dean practically sizzle together on screen. I agree. This chemistry was missing in the first season. A lot was missing in the first season. All the parts are working together to bring the audience a captivating, riveting, and totally enjoyable show. One that should be remembered as one of the best shows of the season. And I totally agree with you, and I'm so glad we got uh, some feedback from someone new this season who's really enjoying the show. Yeah, and you know, when when she says that Hallie and and Jeffrey Dean sizzle together on the screen, I I think we all agree, and I think the, the surface approach is that they sizzle sexually which they do of course 
But there's something else about their relationship that we never even remotely saw in Molly and John. Yeah, uh, there's the kind of like a tenderness behind it, don't you think? I do. And also, though, that just he is not afraid to just get in her grill. <laughs> yeah, you that's know? right. And, and John was just just so proper and just, I mean, he was who he was. Exactly. He served his purpose and now it's on to uh, better relationships, let's say. So, yeah, thank you very much for all that wonderful feedback. And what a great episode to talk about. And hopefully they will continue in the same vein where it's just an enjoyable ride. Right. So we've got a single episode coming up next. And Uh then the week after we have a double. All right. So get ready for that one. Uh, The double ones tend to be two discrete episodes a lot of times, although I think one of them last year felt like a one long episode. So hopefully we'll get something like that. But can't wait for that and can't wait for the coming weeks. We still have over half of the season to go. But that's it for this edition of the Extant Podcast. Keep up with the show news and the fan interaction on Twitter by following us at ExtantGSM. And join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Podcast. And Mike and I will be back next week with our discussion of Extant Episode 5 of Season 2 entitled The New Frontier. But in the meantime, head on over to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback to share your thoughts. You can write a message, record a comment using your computer's microphone, or call 304-837-2278. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the Extant Podcast, please consider rating and reviewing us in iTunes, as The Cape Man did. Thank you very much, Clayton. He just found our show this season and binge-listened season one. Thanks, Clayton. And we'll talk to you next weekend.